Revelation 12:11 And they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony and they did not love their lives to the death. Welcome to By the Word of Their Testimony and here is your host Etienne McClintock. Dear listener, greetings and a warm welcome. Thank you for tuning in today again to our program. Delighted to have your company. This program is a place where we share the life journeys of people just like you and me and how through challenges, trials, opportunities, and the providences of God, their lives have been impacted for good and for the glory of God. I have a special guest in the studio with me here today at our Morissette Studios, and that is Robert Panicook. Robert, welcome to the studio. Thanks so much for having me. Now, you're not a stranger to 3ABN. I think your family have uh, done some work here. You have done some programs with uh, Paul Kachansky when he worked here previously, and also your daughter's been involved in A Day with the King. Yes, that's right. So great. Look, lovely to have you here. I met you many years ago. It'll be 20 years, if not more, I, I believe. And uh, it was nice to bump into you after such a long time since I've seen you last. I think we were doing some program, a mission outreach program out in the western suburbs of Sydney back in the late 90s. Yes, it's been a while, hasn't it? It has been a while. Robert, maybe you can tell us just a little bit about what you're currently doing. Well, uh, my main trade is what's called a medical missionary evangelist. And though I'm not a doctor as such, I'm more a health educator. Mm. But using simple treatments, natural remedies uh, to encourage people to a better health, better lifestyle, and also as a Bible teacher, Bible educator. Mm. But I've taken a bit of a step back from that at the moment because we're homeschooling our daughter and I'm uh, half of the... Home education for her. Ah, okay, right. So both your wife and yourself are taking teaching responsibilities, I take it from that. Yes. And look, and children are a heritage of the law that's so important to have that that grounding, you know, uh, and uh, having them getting to know the Lord because ultimately this is what, what remains even after we pass. Normally our children are still around and their impact in society for God and for, you know, for a better influence is very, very important. And part of that is especially understanding their natural aptitude, the things that they naturally enjoy, because sometimes seeking God's will for our children, we have a vision ourselves of where they should be and what they should do. Hmm. And for myself, you know, I love doing missionary work. I love helping people any way I can. But there's one thing that I have always had a challenge with, and that's selling. So when my daughter came to me one day at 11 years of age and she said, Oh, Daddy, I want to learn how to cold porter. I thought to myself, oh, cold portering, yeah, selling books from door to door. Hmm. <laughs> I remember doing that in training, and I remember thinking, ah, oh, that's the last I'll ever do that again. Mm. Uh, that's not my cup of tea. Right. And then at 11 years old, she comes and says, Dad, Dad, I want to learn this. So for the last six months or more, she and I have been going out on the doors once a week, and uh, I just couldn't encourage parents enough to allow their children to, to um, you know, in God's direction, to really follow the, the natural desires they have in ministry and work and to go outside of our own comfort zones to help them achieve that. Mm. By doing that, we really set an example 
we're saying, look, you can go out of your comfort zone and, and succeed. Yes. Well, that's wonderful. And I think that's great advice to parents. Appreciate that very much, actually, just thinking about that, because ultimately the Lord has ideas and plans for each one of us. And sometimes, even with good intentions, sometimes we can get in the way of others fulfilling their God-given abilities and also where God wants to lead them in their lives. So true. Mm. Well, let's step, step back now uh, and just tell us maybe your, your background, You know, where you were born, family influences and so forth. Well, I was born in Darwin up in the north coast of Australia, mm. uh, 1974. And this was six months before Cyclone Tracy. For, so for those oh. from our era, they'll understand that uh, it was quite a challenging time. That was the first uh, incident where my mother was convinced God had a plan for my life because our house was being destroyed uh, room by room. First, the neighbor's roof was lifted off by the wind and hit against our house. It knocked our roof off, mm. was leaning against the door. And as each room was exploding, we were then in the bathroom and my dad said, we've got to get out of here. So he started pushing the door against the roof of the neighbor's house and against the cyclonic winds that, that were blowing. And I believe God must have helped him. Mm. Anyway, he pushed against the door until my brother could squeeze out and the family all squeezed out, got down to the car. Uh, my brother was 12 at that time, and he tells me that the wind actually lifted him off the top of the stairs. And gently he was carried down right down to the bottom where he landed uh, safely. Incredible. And ran to the car. So the whole family went into the car. Being six months old, I was a bit scared. Obviously, mum uh, was looking after me, so she started to uh, to breastfeed me. And it was in between feeds. I had just come away from, to have a bit of a breath, a bit of a breather. My mouth was open. And at that time, there was a, a swing that had been left loose right mm. near the car. It smashed one of the windows, and a whole lot of fragments of glass went straight into my mouth. Wow. At that point, my mother, who was a nurse, thought, boy, this is going to be very challenging, and, mm. and she wasn't sure that I'd be okay. But she prayed, and after praying, she started to pick out every piece of glass. Uh, she believes she got all of it. and Wow. So you can, obviously you don't want the kid to swallow that, especially yes. six months old. It could be deadly. Incredible. Yeah. Yes. Anyway, a year and a half later, uh, or about a year later, I was a year and a half old, my brother uh, was teaching me a lesson. I had done something wrong as a year and a half old. Mm. And so he went to give me a smack on the bottom, but he got me on the base of the back, on the base of the spine. And we found out since then that's a very dangerous place for a child to receive a, a blow, small mm. or big. So mm. anyway, I immediately lost consciousness and oh. uh, stopped breathing, turned blue. And my brother freaked out. He calls my mum and says, Mom, help, Rob's, Rob's dying. Or he might have said I'm dead. But uh, mum comes in and picks up this lifeless little baby and he explains what happened and she just starts crying because she doesn't know. But what am I going to do to bring yes. him back? Mm. Again, she just said, God, please save my boy. And as soon as she prayed, I just started breathing again. Color came back and everything was okay. Wow, that's remarkable. So, okay, from from what you're telling me, you were brought up in a Christian family with a believing mother. Well, definitely with a believing mother. My father was what's called, uh, or what he called himself, as agnostic. Okay. Uh, basically, Dad's idea was there may be a God out there, but he doesn't really know of Him and. If there is a God, he's not interested in humanity. We just have to go our own way, do our best, and, and 
try and have the best life we can. Mm. Uh, but with that, Dad had a lot of anger, uh, a lot of issues. He did come from the war era in Holland and uh, had carried a lot of baggage from his childhood, which he brought across to Australia. Sure, he would have seen some terrible things during those war, war Ab- times. Absolutely. Mm. The biggest thing Dad would say to me through the following years was, I don't see how God could forgive me for the things that I've done mm. uh, during those years. So he really struggled with that. But with that anger, I would watch Dad. I would watch his approach to life, and I'd watch my mother, uh, who I considered a very gentle Christian and always loving and kind and always trying to shelter the boys from Dad's anger. Mm. I always thought to myself, if I want a happy life, that's what I'm choosing. My mum's got the right way. Okay. And so church became important to me. Mm. Uh, it became important to me to pray and, and to seek for God's will, uh, to follow him. I had no idea at that point what it was. I didn't really realize till many, many years later of thinking I was following him, uh, what it actually meant. But it was still set in my heart. Uh, at the age of nine, I was lying in bed one day and it, it struck me. The Bible says some people are going to be in heaven, but some people are not. Mm. Some are going to miss out on eternal life because they chose not to follow Christ. And I was lying there thinking, well, what if I end up in the wrong group? Yes. How can I be sure? And it just grabbed my soul so strongly, stirred within me that I just began bawling my eyes out in the middle of the night. So my mum comes running in. Oh, what's wrong? What's wrong, Rob? So I told her the burden of my heart and how I really wanted to be in heaven. I didn't want to miss out on joy and a life free from sin and all the problems and mm-hmm. death, sorrow. So mum explained to me that God himself is for us. He's not against us. And if we reach out to him, he's not the one who leaves us. We leave him. So if our desire is to follow him and we're seeking him with our whole heart, he won't fail us. And that mm-hmm. assurance was just what I needed at that time. Right. Oh, that's beautiful. So this is at the age of nine. You're having some really deep thoughts. Obviously, uh, the Spirit of God is working and striving with your heart. And for you to come up with some of these deep thoughts and then starting to understand the difference between those who will be saved and those who will be lost, it's quite remarkable. Something deep was really happening, and I believe it was my mother's influence. It was our Bible study time that we had each evening in the Sabbath school lesson, but also it was the time we spent in nature. Because our family spent a lot of time camping and fishing, and I used to love getting out there. There was something about being out in God's second book. The Bible just says so much about nature and what it can do to impact our soul and our peace of mind, to give us stability and direction in life, purpose. If you have any questions about God, then God says, go to nature and ask, and Mm. it'll tell you what I'm like. It'll tell you my character. That's why I, I love finding people of all different religions and faiths out in nature. So mm. I'm thinking, yes, God has them there to, to guide them and encourage them to, to seek for him. So it had a real impact. Um, and were you still living in the Northern Territory at this stage, age of nine? I was there until I was 18. So oh, okay. even though... So you didn't really know what a winter was? Oh, no, definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was interesting that... Uh, Soon after, probably around the age of 15 to 16, um, my cousin came to live with us, Mm. uh, Adam Sinzio. And during that time, the the years preceding that, I still had that same desire to follow God, still wanted to, but just hadn't really understood what Mm. it all means. Right. So I end up in public high school, and my cousin is a different influence. There's a lot of anger in my own family, but he comes with peace. 
Mm. He comes with a type of attitude when we'd play games together or when we'd be out doing things, if there's competition and issues going on. He just didn't have that same aggressive reaction. And there was so much peace in his life. I thought, wow, he's got something I need. Where's he getting it from? Yeah. So I asked him one day and he just explained to me that he spends a lot of time in the Bible. And as I watched him, I realized, yeah, he's spending a lot more time in it than I do. Mm. So I thought, yeah, that must be where his power is coming from. Okay. So I began spending more time in the Bible. And so I, you're around 15 now, around that around age? Around 15, around that age. Yeah. And, and I start to ask myself, if I'm a Christian, why don't I ever talk about Jesus to people out around the world? I'm, mm-hmm. I'm not really witnessing to anybody. Mm. Where do I start? So... My cousin suggested to pray for an opportunity, which I did. The very next day, after my first prayer, God, please bring me an opportunity to witness. I'm sitting in mathematics class at a public high school. My friend turns to me and he says, what do you do on Saturday? And I said, uh, 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 I can't tell you. Oh. And he's looking at me with surprise and like, yeah. what are you talking about? What do you mean you can't tell me what you do? What do you do? Mm. So he's looking at me and said, well, come on, man. You can tell me. What do you do on Saturday? Well, I, 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 I can't tell you. And, and this happened a few times. I just couldn't get it out. All right. I had asked for an opportunity. The opportunity came, but I just wasn't ready for it. Mm. I couldn't believe how ashamed, how embarrassed I was to mention something that I thought I really loved. So... That's incredible. I guess there's many people who may have even a similar desire you know, for the Lord, but they just struggle because there might be some element of embarrassment. So as you unpack the story, hopefully this will sort of help us understand what the real issues was and how you overcame it. That night, I'm on my knees saying, oh, God, I'm so embarrassed toward mm. you. You know, How could I be so embarrassed about you mm. when I thought you're my best friend and, and I just want to follow you and, and do your will? I, I couldn't even mention that I go to church on Saturday. Yeah. So I asked, please give me another opportunity. Next morning, I'm sitting in mathematics class with my friend. He turns to me, he says, so what do you do on Saturday? Same guy or another guy? Same guy. Same guy, okay. Same, same situation, same desk. And I'm sitting there and I'm saying, uh, 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 I can't tell you. <laughs> and this happened two or three days in a row. Mm. Finally, the last... This guy's starting to get very curious what happens on Saturday. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm not sure which way he's thinking it'll go, good or bad. But uh, either either way, I finally came to my senses. I knelt down by my bed. It was the second or third day this had happened. Mm. And saying my prayers, and, and all of a sudden, it's like a bolt of lightning. God, I don't love you. Mm. You can't love someone that you're embarrassed to talk about. Wow. And as that hit me, I had always read in the Bible that you can't be in two camps. You can't serve two masters. Mm. Jesus actually said you can only love one and hate the other. You can only hate the one and love the other. You, you can't have a divided heart toward either. Yes. And as soon as I realized I didn't truly love God, in the, now, of course, there was a certain appreciation of God. Of course, there was a certain love relationship. But in the deeper sense of salvation and recognizing who is my greatest friend, I actually came to the realization that if I didn't truly love God, biblically, it could be said that I hate God. Mm. That may be pretty confronting for some to 
to consider. Yes. But as a 15-year-old, I came to the absolute conviction, biblically speaking, I hated God. Mm. Because I didn't love him with my whole heart, I was actually working for another master, not Jesus. Wow, that's very confronting. It blew me away. Mm. To think that I professed to be a follower of him and yet couldn't even talk about my best friend. Mm. And I broke down and wept. And I wept and wept and wept. And after some time of realizing that, I said, Well, Lord, that may be true, but I don't want it to stay that way. There is a part of me that does love you, but I'm asking you to take away any hatred, any rejection of who you are, any barrier that's between you and me. I want it to be gone. Mm. I want to be a real servant of yours and follow you. So I asked him to do something for me. I said, Lord, I know that tomorrow, if my friend asks me what I do on Saturday, I know I'm going to have the same answer. Right. It's not in me. I need you to do for me what I can't do for myself. Mm. I need you to be the answer, to give the answer. I'll do what I can. I'll open my mouth. But, Lord, please make the words come out. Yeah. Sitting in mathematics class the next day, and would you guess it? My friend turns to me and he says, what do you do on Saturday? And I turned to him and in my heart I said, Lord, you know I can't say it. I don't love you like I need to. Please mm. give me your love. Mm. Put it in my heart and make it happen. And I turned to him and I opened my mouth and I just looked at him because I knew I couldn't do it. And from nowhere, except I know where, from mm. God, yeah. I believe, the words came, I go to church. Okay, wow. So simple, so free, mm. should be so easy. And letting God do it, it was easy. And in that moment, my friend turns to me and he says, oh, so do I. I go to church on Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, what? Okay, so he had, there was a, a, common, a common thing there except for the day. <laughs> Look, it was at least six months or so. And both of us were professed Christians. Both of us attended church every week. And we didn't even know. Mm. And it was such a rebuke to me to realize that I had professed to be a follower of Jesus, one who would spread his gospel to the world, and yet I never spoke with strangers or even friends about the God I claimed to love. Mm. That was a huge turning point. That is a huge turning point. It reminds me of that text where Jesus says, now if we deny him, he will also deny us, you know, yes. before the Father, if we, deny, if we deny him before men. And there's a text in 2 Timothy chapter 2, which I'm sort of just committing to memory. It says, for if, he, if we died with him, we shall also live with him. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. And then this part, if we deny him, he will also deny us. Yes. Because obviously the relationship has got to be based on love, like you're saying. And if we are... Willing to deny Jesus, it really means we don't really love him as we should. And, you know, Jesus said the great commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second is like unto it, to love your neighbor as yourself. Mm. But we are to seek the kingdom of God first and his righteousness. There's a little book written by a, a lady called Ellen White. And in the book Mount of Blessings, page 18, she says that love is righteousness. Yes. So we are to see God's righteousness, which means we are to seek his love and to have him put his love in us. So thank you very much for bringing that out. So you've mentioned a few pivotal um, periods and aspects in your life. You know, you're even your cousin and the influence of your cousin. Yes. And then this encounter with your friend and also how you then saw things within your own character that you weren't aware of. Maybe you can take us further along this journey of, of explaining you know, your, your life and your testimony. 
So after this time, my friend and I developed in our own Christian experiences. We actually started to study together. And I had a couple of books. He told me he was leaving, and I thought, well, I really want him to see this beautiful truth that we have as Seventh-day Adventists. So I had a couple of books. One was The Great Controversy. Another one was The Desire of Ages. A third one was Steps to Christ. Right. Both, All three of them great books. He took The Great Controversy, and he read it through twice. He took Desire of Ages wow. and read it through three times. Then he took Steps to Christ and read that a couple of times, and he said, well, this is the truth. Mm. And uh, he was really excited. So was I. I looked at what God had done in such a simple little beginning with mm. a question. And if we pray that God will send us someone to witness to, then he surely will open up doors. Yeah, that is remarkable. So this this boy became a Seventh-day Adventist Christian by just the contact with you, then having the studies together, and then reading those books. Those books are incredible books. Desire of Ages about the life of Christ is Truly remarkable. And then, of course, Great Controversy, which covers some history subsequent to the fall of Jerusalem and then gets into prophecy, prophecies that have been fulfilled in the past and then also prophecies that are yet to be fulfilled in the future. What a wonderful, encouraging book. And that's really some of the books that unmask the deception that's out there in the world and also even the veil that can be on our own minds in regards to our relationship to the Lord. So thank you for mentioning those books. Very, very important. Yeah, just a little point there. He actually didn't become a Seventh-day Adventist. Oh, he didn't? No. Quite an interesting uh, experience that I had. You know, some people who uh, who see the, the Bible and what it says, they, they follow completely. They, they get excited. They follow it. Others may see it, and the seed may be sown, hmm. and yet they may not be ready to, to take a certain step that okay. they may be convicted of. But, uh, so there was a, an ascent to the truth. He understood it. He believed it. Yes, but not believed it to the point of changing some things in his life that uh, the truth demanded. Yes, true. Okay. So after this experience with my friend, I had been playing a lot of cricket. Uh, I had become what is known as a left-arm pace bowler, and uh, the scouts for the Northern Territory Youth State Team had come along and said, look, would you join the the state team? So Mm. I thought, yeah, that'd be good. And I started to realize as they talked further, ah, the games, some of the games are going to be on Saturday. There are going to be some conflicts of interest. Mm. And I knew that I was going to have to make a decision. I did enjoy sport. I played a lot of different sports. Uh, Competition was certainly a deep part of my blood. And yet... My cousin around the same time had said, why don't you come to America with me and study to be a missionary, hmm. a medical missionary evangelist? And I thought, well, that sounds pretty good. And I had a, as I prayed, I had this conviction that, yes, I'm going to need to make a decision. Hmm. Do I want to follow the path of professional sports playing or do I want to follow the path of becoming a missionary? For me, the decision was clear, become a missionary. Right. Uh, I knew that if I'm going to go the other way, I'm going to start to... Uh, have challenges and decisions to make that uh, I will either have to follow Christ and leave the sport or mm. uh, or leave Christ. So, so if you followed the sports side, you knew there would be tensions continually in your life in regards to you know things you either have to compromise or you'll have to go with the flow, or um, you'll have to follow the Lord. And they weren't they weren't things that you could gel and bring together in harmony. Exactly. And so here's my father, who is the principal of a primary uh, state school. And I tell him my decision. I'd like to go to America and study. And he says, oh, lovely. He says, so tell me, is the school accredited? (laughs) And I said, no, it's not. And he said, well, you can't go. Hmm. I said, well, Dad, I I believe that God wants me to go. And so I'm 
going to go? And he said, well, son, if you go, I'm not supporting you. Mm. Even though I've paid the way for your other three brothers through college, I won't be giving you anything. You'll be on your own. And he was quite angry. Mm. But the decision had been made very strongly. And I said, Dad, even if you don't support me in any way, I'm going. Mm. And it was so interesting once I made that commitment, the first time I had really stood up to my father, Mm. he immediately said, well, I'm coming with you because I want to see what this place is like. Wow. So he took my my next oldest brother and I on a trip through Europe with our mother. Uh, We went to France, snow skiing at Les Arcs, and we went to see where Dad was born in Holland. We had a lovely time there, and then he came to see this college in America. And it was so interesting after... The first weekend of being at the the school, the rest of my family were going away for a a bit of a holiday around America, and they were going to come back on the the next weekend to say goodbye. But as my father was leaving on the train after that first weekend, he turned to me and he said, Son, God is in this place. Really? I'm going to support you fully. Now, is your dad a believer at this stage? He hasn't changed. He He still says he's not a believer. He's not convinced but of he, any God or where, if he exists, where he might be. But he says that God is in this place. He recognizes the spiritual component of that place and the place you're going to go and study. He just knew there was something different. That's right, something real. Mm. And so his support continued through the, well, praise the Lord. six years of study there. Mm. Uh, this was at Heartland College. It's a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Mm. And... Basically, through those six years, uh, first I did the health major, health ministries major, and then the pastoral evangelism major. And during those years, I began to pray earnestly for my dad, uh, which is really an incredible thing to see how my father turned around and the experiences God brought to my life uh, during those years and during my subsequent years of ministry Mm. after leaving that school. Well, that's remarkable. Well, look, we're just going to take a break here. And uh, we thank Robert Panacook for coming to share his testimony. He's our special guest in the studio today. And don't go away. We'll be right back after the short message. Not long ago, the largest uncut diamond in the world sold for $53 million. How would you feel if you'd sold that diamond? $53 million. Most people, really happy. Now, how would you feel if you found a Bible? as happy as if you'd sold that diamond? It's interesting that David wrote, I rejoice at your word as one who finds great treasure, Psalm 119, verse 162. But most of us, would we be made that happy by the Bible? Perhaps there's a danger that we might forget how important the important things really are. If you're not fired up about God's word, read it, study it, pray about it, and ask that God would excite you all over again about his word. The Bible is way more precious than a $53 million diamond. I'm John Bradshaw for It Is Written. Let's live today by every word. Welcome back to By the Word of Their Testimony. In the studios, my special guest is Robert Panacook, and he's sharing his testimony with us today. Now, Robert, you were just telling about some significant events in your life before the break, you know, at the age of six months, at the age of one and a half years, and then I think we also spoke about the age of nine, some significant events and thoughts that came to your mind, and also at the age of 15. Now, what age were you baptized? I was actually baptized at the age of 12. Okay. Uh, That was a, a point... 
my mother tells me, I don't recall all the years, but she says even from the age of nine, I began to ask to be baptized basically every year. Wow. And then at the age of 12, the pastor finally said, okay, we'll, we'll go through some studies. So he took my friend and I through a series of Bible studies to mm. show us uh, very clearly from the Bible uh, all the main biblical teachings that the Seventh-day Adventist Church uh, holds very dear. Mm. And I could see them intellectually. I could see the validity of them. And it was all an intellectual head knowledge. Sure. But it wasn't even a deep, thorough understanding. It was just, okay, I see what he's saying, and it, it looks true. Mm. And that was as far as it went. So we got baptized like that, and I felt like that was it. That was great. But then, of course, as I said, at the age of 15, I came across this whole new understanding, realizing that I didn't actually love God as I thought I did. Mm. And when I saw the experience of my cousin, I realized that I was still in a lost condition. This was quite confronting for me, just as we talked before uh, during the break about being buried alive. Yes. I can't imagine anything more fearful mm. than to find yourself in a physical coffin uh, with the dirt being thrown on it and you actually are still alive. Yes. And uh, this is what I believe happens in the spiritual experience. When we've thought we've been following Jesus and then we realize we haven't been, it can be quite confronting. Mm. And some, sometimes a person could sort of try and push it away and, and ignore the conscience because it's too scary to think about that. But it's so important that we do. So we're talking about the, the symbolism of baptism, how we go into a watery grave, so to speak. So we are when we go under the water, as we hold our breath, we, we believe that's like cessation of life. So we, we stop breathing, and then when we raise the up, we come out of the watery grave, and we believe we're a new person. So that's the symbolism of it. So when we say buried alive, it means that self did not die. We didn't deny self and take up our cross and follow Jesus to the full extent, and therefore when we were baptized, self was not crucified with Christ. Yes, yes. Okay. Exactly. And so at the age of 15 and 16, obviously there was another step, a deepening of understanding. Mm. It's very clear in the Bible that we can go through a number of steps of being drawn to Jesus. Yes. But it doesn't mean that we have truly died to self mm. and, and had that new birth experience. And I found that, again, when I went to Heartland College in America, I began to do more deep Bible study and began to study the Seventh Adventist teachings more deeply and find how incredibly rooted they are in Scripture. And as I began to see the truth as it is in Jesus, I began to see his character. Beautiful books also written by Ellen White, books mm. like Early Writings yes. that reveal heaven and, and what it's going to be like to be there and uh, what it means to be living in this present day when the world is in such confusion and chaos, mm. and yet God wants to give us peace and and wisdom during these times and, and to help us in our families. So I would read things like that, and especially the book on the life of Christ, The Desire of Ages, uh, Steps to Christ. These books really began to give me a love for the Bible. And as a love for the Bible increased, as I began to read it more deeply and went through the teachings and began to understand them to the point where I could share them with others, mm. I realized I don't know Jesus at all. You know, this is a brand new thing. And, wow. and the love for him, I began to sense the willingness to talk about him in public, the desire, the passion, not just, oh, to experience knowing him myself, but, but that earnest longing for others to know him. All others, wherever they may be, whether they're mm. in church or out of church or on the street. And this is when I said, oh, no, 
I want to be baptized again. And just as I had read in the book of Acts, where there were a number of different communities that the apostles rebaptized because they had come into a fuller understanding of God's truth and a fuller experience with Jesus. That's true. So because of that, I said, right, I want to be rebaptized. So uh, on October 22nd, 1994. It's a significant date. It is very significant. years after the great disappointment, yes. Yes. Uh, Elder Lawrence Nelson baptized me in the pool, uh, the swimming pool there at Hardland College. And I really understood and felt for the first time that, yes, this is truly a symbol of my experience now. Mm. Truly this fits where I'm at in my Christian walk. And I can say Jesus is my best friend. You know, it's interesting, you know, Christ only died once, yet there are some times, you know, like you're saying, when you get to a fuller understanding that uh, a second baptism is quite appropriate. And we know in the book of Acts, for example, some of them were only baptized with the baptism of repentance by John the Baptist. Yes. And then when they uh, accepted Christ and they also wanted to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Yes. Um, they were baptized a second time as well. And I was just recently in, um, in the Bible lands. And there were some people who took advantage of the fact that they were by the Jordan where Jesus was baptized. I guess they find that significant. But, you know, it's not so much that there's any special powers in that water. It's the significance of the symbolism of surrendering your life to the Lord. Obviously, that's important. Some people got rebaptized because they felt when they got baptized the first time, they were still buried alive. Mm. So thank you for bringing that out. It's a very important point. And I guess many people listening out there will be able to relate to it. Mm, Absolutely. Mm. Never be afraid to realize to acknowledge that realization if you sense in your soul, oh, I, my walk with Christ hasn't been what the Bible says it should be. Mm. To to just be honest with ourselves and let God show us. And really that's where uh, my life took a, a real turning point. And, uh, so what age are you now? Well, now I'm 19 years old. Okay. And a year so the Lord's into- been leading you all along, and every time you know, he's taking you into a deeper understanding and a deeper appreciation of his love for you, and obviously through this process you are falling in love with the Lord. So it's not just mere a mental ascent. It's also now the heart and the mind working together. Yes. Hmm. And, and as I would read through these things, I would see, okay, we need that genuine experience with Jesus, and hmm. I really believe he's giving that to me daily. And I would see we, we need that to be sharing that genuine experience. And I was experiencing sharing with people out on the streets and around the places, the shopping centers I would go. So I remember one day I was in the shopping center and the lady at the cash register says to me, hmm. how are you doing today? And the first thoughts that came to my mind are, I'm blessed. Hmm. So I thought, we'll tell her. So I said, oh, I'm blessed, thank you. And immediately she says, you must be a Christian. I I am in so much trouble. This has happened. She started to go through her life story. This is a lady at the checkout now unpacking all her troubles. She's she's the one actually um, serving me. And she's telling me her life story. I've got people behind me building up. Mm. And she unloads her story and the pain she's in and how Mm. she's ready to give up. And I had the book Steps to Christ in my car. So after she finished sharing her story, I encouraged her, had a prayer with her. Everybody's still standing there. I ran out to the car and got Steps to Christ. I came back in. Everybody's still standing there. And she's standing there in tears. And Mm. I give the book to her and have an earnest prayer with her that God will help her. When we finish that, she says, I know God sent you here today. Incredible. And it all started with you just answering a simple question, which you would have asked a hundred people that day probably already. How are you doing? And you said, I am blessed. That's it. So simple. 
And if we look for these kind of opportunities, look for ways mm. to show that we are Christians, then if there's an opening, God will bring it up. It doesn't have to be forced. It doesn't sure. have to be under a feeling of, oh, what are you up to? Mm, you don't have to twist anybody's arm. That's it. Yeah. Such a joy. And so as these experiences would, would increase, some friends and I decided we'd like to, to run a mission uh, to Papua New Guinea. Mm. And as I had been reading and studying, I'd, I'd see the importance of witnessing and knowing Jesus. And it was all having an impact on me. But I also read in the Gospels that those who serve Jesus, signs would follow those who believe. Mm. I thought, well, why is it that we don't see these signs? These miracles that God promises are so astounding. They are so unexpected in our Western culture. And yet God says they would follow those who believe. Mm. So I began to pray to God, Lord, I want to see these signs. I want the God of heaven who loves me, the one who I love. I want to see you working your miracles in my ministry. Mm. And as we prayed for that, an opening came for us to, to run a mission in Papua New Guinea. Yeah. When we arrived in New Guinea, we were in a place called Madang Province. And I had been seeking God's blessing. I was not thinking this is when I will see some great signs. This mm. is the time it's going to happen. Just seeking to fulfill God's will day by day. But there was an interesting situation there where the local Christians were actually fighting each other and killing each other. And they were all divided into groups and different ones from different villages. If they weren't happy with how the others would do things, then they would go and create this war and they'd start killing terrible bloodshed. Mm. And I didn't know about that. The group I was teaching, how to be medical missionaries, how to be like Jesus, I had no idea that they had just been killing people. But as I was teaching them, one day we went into the streets and people from a rival village, a rival Christian group, that sounds so strange, but yeah. they came across the street yelling. The, the man who was in charge was yelling as loud as he could. And he came up to me right into my face, looked up at me, and he's screaming at me for about five minutes. And is this a language you could understand? No. Oh, okay. Well, sorry, some of most of them could not speak the language I understood. I should say this particular leader was speaking to me in English. Okay. And so we could understand perfectly well. But as he was yelling at me, I'm looking at this man feeling fear. Hmm. Now, the word of God says perfect love casts out fear because fear sure. has torment. And mm. I, I knew then I need Jesus. I need a deeper walk with him and I need his help now. And so as I felt my knees knocking together and I saw this man with his gang behind him and they had surrounded us now and my students were behind me and they were all ready for a full-blown war. Mm. The one catalyst they were waiting for was for me to react because the leader was yelling in my face trying to get a reaction. And I would have. I could have tried to run, which was how I've dealt with most of my problems through my life. Mm. I love to get away from conflict sure. and escape it. And so here's Quite this. often it's a smart move. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But that wasn't really that much of an option on that day. Well, I can tell you it's not an option in marriage, but that's another point. Sure. <laughs> but especially on that day, it was not an option. So mm. here I was uh, listening to this man sensing that I was in trouble because of my fear. I'm sure he could smell it. Hmm. These people understand fear very well, and they operate based on fear and hmm. anger. So immediately I cried out to God in my heart. I said, Father, save me. 
And then after praying that prayer, I quoted Isaiah 26, verse 3, which says, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. Trust mm. ye in the Lord forever, for in the Lord Jehovah is everlasting strength. And as soon as I quoted those two texts, this incredible peace came over me. All the fear just drained away, like someone had pulled the plug, and it was gone. Mm. And then the plug was put back in, and this peace flooded my whole body, every cell. Absolute control and calmness, which which is not me, mm. but it's what I felt at that moment. Yes. And I thanked God for it. And I looked at this man and I smiled. And as I smiled, he started to look confused. And after some minutes, he stopped yelling and he said, I'm sorry, sir, for yelling at you. Would you please come to our headquarters and tell us the work you're doing? We then spent, wow. Yes, we, it was interesting. But as we went to go to the place, I said, well, I'm off to see these, these guys because they had left. And all of my students said, you can't go. They're going to kill you. Mm. I said, uh, did you notice that I'd probably be dead right now if they were going to kill me? Mm. God is doing something here. No, 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 no. It's a trap. They're going to kill you. I said, well, listen, do you believe in angels? Yes, we do. But you can't go. They're going to kill you. Mm. No, God has promised to give his angels charge over us to keep us in all our ways. I'm going. Who's going with me? An 18-year-old young man. I was about 20 at the time, mm. 19, 20. This 18-year-old young man steps forward in front of all of these elderly men and he says, I will come. Mm. So he came with me across the bay on the little boat. We went to the headquarters. And the chief and his offsider both were sitting on the desk when I got there and they both fell off the desk. They were so shocked that I arrived, they thought they would never see me again. Now, the gentleman that was yelling at you, he was not the chief or his offsider. There was someone else, was he, it? He was the offsider. He was the offsider. Okay. This was the one who was leading the gang to come and kill us. And so here is this. They're both sitting there on the desk. They both fall on the ground. They were so shocked. Mm. They couldn't hold up on their legs. And they got up and composed themselves. Oh, 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 oh. <clears throat> we weren't expecting you. Mm. And uh, it was quite an amusing situation if it wasn't for the incredible uh, gravity of coming so near to death. Yes. Nevertheless, we spent two hours. And after telling them the work that I do, these men said, I'm so sorry, but we were lied to about you. Some other people told us that you were leading these other villagers to come and get us. And so we came to get you first. Really? But if what you're saying is true, and we believe it is, we're going to support your work. Our gang will protect you wherever you go. No one in this province will touch you. Mm. I said, look, thank you so much for your offer of support. I, I, I've seen today that my angels are well equipped to look after me, mm. uh, but thank you very much. So they then drove me back in their uh, gang leader's vehicle, you know, one of those black cars with uh, dark windows you can't see into. Wow. It was quite a, an amazing, surreal experience. Mm. They drove me back to my village. And as this enemy car drove in, all the villagers came around ready for fighting and what's going on. But these men trusted me enough to drive me straight back into enemy territory, let me hop out, and they drove away. Now, I was impressed. We must deal with this immediately and decisively. I called all the villagers together, and we were going to have a meeting from the Word of God from the Book of Acts. The impression was very strong upon my heart. Speak about the Apostle Paul that he would not leave the ship. Because these Christians had been separating from each other. They needed to unify. They needed to work together. Mm. If you see problems in your church, don't just walk away. See what you can do to work together, to, to rectify things. Mm. And that was the burden that I had. As we began the message, I asked for the translator who had always translated our meetings. 
And a man with broken English came up. He said, oh, sorry, no translator. Hmm. I said, we have to have the meeting. This is too serious. I didn't know you were all killing each other. Mm. We must deal with this now. No translator. I said, well, what can we do? He says, well, you speak. At the end of your message, I translate as best I can. Mm. I thought, oh, no. <laughs> After 30 or 40 minutes, there's no way that these people are going to be able to remember deal. all of it to oh, translate it. Yes. It's not going to happen. But I thought, well, it's the best we can do. Let's do what we can and let God do the rest. Mm. So I gave the message, sharing from the book of Acts about the Apostle Paul and how he told all the men on that Roman ship that day, even when it looked like it would be shipwrecked and even when it did shipwreck, he had said, do not leave the ship mm. under any circumstances. Stay with the ship. And those who stayed with the ship survived. Mm. Well, through that experience of sharing that message, I noticed all of the villagers right near the beginning all sat up and looked very interested and they were focused upon the message and i wondered i wonder how much they're understanding yeah i wonder if they're getting anything but we went through the whole message at the end of the message the man with broken english came running up to me and the village chief came running up and he started talking in his own language Flat out. Hmm. I couldn't understand the word he was saying, just talking, talking, talking. And I'm, I'm trying to look at them curiously, but I'm just shaking my head. I, I, I don't understand. Hmm. The village chief got angry. He looks me straight in the eyes. And then with the man who speaks broken English, he turns to him and he says, tell him, don't treat us like this. Don't treat us foolishly. And I said, what do you mean? What's wrong? And the man spoke back to him, back and forth. He's explaining to us. The village chief said, we've all been listening to you in our language for 30 minutes. We know you can speak our language. Mm. How dare you treat us like we don't understand what's going on? Just talk in our language. You know what we're saying. I said through the man who spoke broken English, sir, I don't understand a word you're saying. All the meantime now, while we talk together, mm. they're, they're not understanding me. Right. Now they're only hearing English and oh. some of them jump back in surprise because they've heard their own language for 30 minutes and now all of a sudden they're only hearing English. Mm. And they're looking at me like, what is this? What has happened? Suddenly it dawns on the village chief. He raises his hands and quiets all the villagers and he says, brothers and sisters, and the man with broken English translated for me as best he could, God has visited us today. Mm. We have just experienced the gift of languages in the book of Acts chapter 2, where every man in Jerusalem from every nation under heaven understood the messages the disciples were giving in their own language. Mm. There were 16 languages being spoken at that particular event, and every person heard the message in their own language, even though there were only 12 apostles, 12 disciples, mm. well, 11 at that time, Yes, and they were not speaking all 16 languages. They were only speaking their local language. Mm. And yet the Holy Spirit had spoken all 16 languages so everybody could hear them. And this village chief was convicted of that very experience right in that moment. He told everybody, I know that this message is true because the Holy Spirit is the one who gave it to us. Interesting, Etienne. I don't even know what the Holy Spirit told them. 
<laughs> but, you knew what you said, but you don't know what they heard. Yeah. No, but through the translator, I know it was the message of the Apostle Paul on the ship. Mm. And that as he did not fight against the Romans, but worked with them, we are not to fight against each other and kill. Yes, yes. They got that message clearly. And from that point, the village chief gave a command to all of his people. There would be no more killing. Mm. Ten years later, one of the leaders of that exact group that I had been teaching comes to Australia. And I happen to be in Australia after international missionary work in Europe and different places. Mm. And we happen to meet. I think it was around Brisbane. And he sees me. He says, my brother Robert, and we hug. His name is Harold, beautiful mm. Christian man. He says, I have such good news for you. Since the day we saw you there, there has been no killing, killing among our Christian groups. We now work together harmoniously, and God is blessing our efforts. Praise the Lord. That is incredible. What a testimony to the power of God. And also a testimony to the fact that these are the signs that will follow those who believe. You know, you were mentioning about the fact that you are looking where are the signs, and here God is performing miracles. Right in your presence And he gives you that peace Which is another miracle in itself Amen In, in the face of you know, adversity And even potential danger And life-threatening danger And then opening the door So there's peace and harmony Between these two villages Because the Spirit of God is working Oh, what a wonderful What a wonderful story And a wonderful account So uh, I, I guess subsequent to that The encouragement in your own heart Knowing that God can do the things That you read about in the Bible It's not just something that's left to the to the history of the past They are actually a, a present reality As long as we can cleave to the word of God That God is living and powerful And that his word still has the power to accomplish What he said back then Even in our day So Robert have you got any other interesting stories like that You can share with us as well in the, Just in the closing few moments that we have I'll try and make this one short Okay. Just to really encourage our listeners to know First of all the Holy Spirit works through God's people. If we're seeking to live for him, he will work miracles even if we're still seeking to know him, even mm. if we feel far from him. Mm. When God gave the gifts of miracles to his disciples, they were not all converted. So we don't have to th look up to somebody if they experience these great things and think, oh, that person must know Jesus more than all of us. That's a good point. There are some people who have not seen these miracles who know Jesus better than some who have seen these miracles. Mm. So important to remember that. Mm. But one quick one. Here I am in Macedonia. Uh, had been working in Sweden for a few years teaching at one of our medical missionary training colleges. And at this particular church, there's this evangelistic series happening for two weeks. A lady runs into the church runs up to the front, sits down, and she's taking down every note so carefully. At the end of the first message, she runs out. Prior to this, I had spent two weeks wrestling with God. Mm. The first evangelistic message, I used to think, always needed to be prophecy, something to grab the people. Yes. But for those two weeks, from the night two weeks before that that I had been impressed, don't do it on that. Do your first message on fear and love. Mm. And I wrestled for two weeks. Surely that's going to mess up the whole program. How can mm. I do this? Fighting with God. It's only the very night of the program that I accepted the impression mm. and went ahead and gave the message on fear and love. This lady who did that came in the second night the same way. She runs into the church, sits down, writes everything down. 
Except at the end of this message, we offer to have a time of questioning mm. and answers at the end. She comes to the question room and shoot, shoots her hand up before anybody can say a word. Please, you must answer my question. She then tells us her story. She's had years of evil angels harassing her in her house. Mm. Doors and windows opening and closing. Something sits on her bed, presses upon her, grabs her throat, starts trying to strangle her. Her son gets these visits, Mm. breaks out in cold sweats. Her boyfriend was a necromancer. He used to claim to speak to the dead. Mm. And he would do these seances and these activities in her house. So she's struggling to find help. She goes to the Greek, sorry, to the Macedonian Orthodox Church. Mm. This is in Macedonia in the city called Skopje. And she goes to the Macedonian Orthodox Church and she asks the priest for help. He gives her a bottle of oil and he says, if you keep this oil in your house, if you pray to these icons that I give you, put them up on your wall and pray to these, uh, these apostles of the past, then these dead people will help you. Well, we know the Bible says the dead know not anything. They cannot praise God. Even an angel of the Bible said, don't worship me, only worship Jesus, Mm. only worship God. Anyway, this woman didn't know those verses. She followed the high priest's advice and the evil angels kept harassing her. Well, she got to the point where she couldn't even leave her house full of fear. Mm. Then one day she's in her room pleading with God God must be so angry at me. Every time I go to the church and I try to go up to the front of the Macedonian Orthodox Church, I try to go under the table at the front like the priest tells us to do, to have my sins absolved as I pray, kneeling underneath this table and crawling under. And I can't even get to the table. I get so afraid. And the lady would run out of the church. She ended up staying in her room. She couldn't even go shopping to get food. One day while she's there in her room, crying out, has God rejected me? Will he not even accept me? I can't even go to his church. I'm so scared. Mm. A light appears at the, at the wall. Mm. And at this light, this beautiful angel walks straight through the light. And he's standing in this woman's room and she's looking at him, petrified. Immediately he says, don't be afraid. I've come with good news. The Seventh-day Adventist Church is conducting some meetings on this particular street where we were going to have our meetings. Mm. In two weeks' time, they're going to have the meetings. This was the same night I was impressed to speak on fear and love. Mm. The angel said to this woman, in the first meeting, God will show you how to overcome your fear And also during these meetings, you will learn about the Seventh-day Sabbath. This is how you will know an angel of God has come to you today. Mm. The angel then left. Two weeks later, I see this lady running into the church. Well, after the question and answer session, the young pastor and myself, we were both 24 at this time, we both went to her house and we both... Uh, had a a talk with her. She had gotten rid of all of the icons which we suggested. She destroyed them all. She cleaned up her house. Mm. Her boyfriend came that very night to see her, and she immediately, when she opened the door, she had a new life. And she said, I've just learned the truth about the Seventh-day Sabbath, about the state of the dead, what's happening in this world. I know that the dead cannot speak to us because they are sleeping in the grave. I must, mm. I must tell you, in order for me to follow Jesus properly, if we're going to live together, you must leave worshipping the dead. You must become a Seventh-day Adventist with me, and we must get married. Without a word, this man closed his mouth, turned around, and walked away, mm. never to come back. Wow. But this dear mother gave her heart to Jesus completely. The only thing she had left was a bottle of oil. Mm. She said, I've done everything else. I didn't have any visits last night, but I can't get rid of this. 
So we allowed her to give us the bottle, which mm. we took with us and destroyed, right. and allowed her to have that last little moment of freedom. Six months later, I went back to that place with some health work with mm. some of my students. And this dear lady was a baptized member of the church, running health programs for other people, full wow. of joy and freedom. Mm. No attacks, no problems in her house and living free in Jesus. Well, praise the Lord. Another wonderful testimony. You are listening to By the Word of Their Testimony. We're just going to share our contact details with you. Stay tuned and we'll be right back after this. Thank you for joining us on By the Word of Their Testimony. If you would like more information about today's program or if you have any questions, please contact 3ABN Australia Radio by phoning 024973 or you can send an email to radio at 3abnaustralia.org.au. You can also contact us on our 3ABN Australia Radio Facebook page. We look forward to hearing from you. Dear listener, welcome back to By the Word of Their Testimony. My special guest in the studio today has been Robert Panikuk, who's been sharing his life journey and also the miracles that God has performed since he changed his life and gave him the ministry of what I call evangelism, because that's a, that's, a, that's a biblical ministry. So thank you for sharing this wonderful testimony with us and also some of those life experiences you've had in Papua New Guinea and also in Macedonia. But just in the last few seconds that we have left, have you got any closing remarks, encouragements that you have for our listener out there today? You know, in my life, I have learned that fear is such a debilitating thing. And so many of us feel unable, we feel inadequate, we're scared to get up front, we're scared to approach people, to be friendly, outgoing. Depression and anxiety are crippling our society. Mm. These are very real things that I've had to deal with in my life. But I found God's promise that his perfect love would cast out fear is so powerful, so real. And this is exactly what God has done in my life. I didn't want to speak to people publicly ever. I felt I never could. Mm -hmm. But I have learned that Jesus loves to take us out of our comfort zone and to give us that freedom, that joy of being able to be uh, available, to use our talents and gifts for God and, and to step out of that darkness into his light. Mm, thank you very much, Robert. appreciate your testimony and that encouragement. It's an encouragement for me. And dear listener, I pray it's been an encouragement to you as well. Thank you for joining us today. We look forward to meeting with you again next time. Until then, may God bless and keep you. You've been listening to a production of 3ABN Australia Radio.